0: The master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven. We ask you to join us here in this place this morning. We trust that you have kept your promise and are here in our midst. May my words be your words. All of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please sit. So I watched the 2010 movie version of the A-Team this week. The one with Liam Neeson and Bradley Cooper and Quentin Rampage Jackson in the Mr. T role. The movie, by the way, is pretty fun. You should um, check it out if that's your kind of thing. Um, But there's a moment in it that caught my attention this week. A moment that I'm sure actually happened in every episode of the original TV show. But I've actually never seen a single episode of the original TV show. There's a moment where everything seems to be falling apart, and our heroes seem like they're going to be dead for sure, when it's revealed that all of this was part of Hannibal Smith's plan. And Smith, Liam Neeson in the movie, lights up a cigar and says, I love it when a plan comes together. If I had a cigar, I'd light one right now. Actually, for that to happen, I'd have to have a cigar and want to smoke a cigar, which I don't. But I would do it because my plan has come together perfectly. If you'll recall, last week, we heard Jesus tell a parable from Scripture right before our reading today about wise and foolish bridesmaids. And we talked about how the main takeaway of that parable, at least for us sinners, was that when we get caught with empty lamps... When we're not at all prepared for the coming of our Lord, when it is revealed that we are the sinners that we are, we shouldn't run around trying to save ourselves. We should stay, repent, and let Jesus save us. Now, this week, We have a very similar story. Jesus tells this story right after the other one. It's very similar, at least in structure, if not exactly in content. Except this week's story is explicitly about stewardship with servants of the master and what they do with the financial resources with which they've been entrusted. And it just so happens that today, as you may know, is the Sunday of our in-gathering where we will come forward and make our thank offerings of time, talent, and financial resources to God. Today, we're going to be the servants, coming back to the Master to report what we've done and what we plan to do with what He has entrusted to us. I love it when a plan comes together. Okay, full disclosure, I only realized this was happening on Tuesday of this week. When I sat down to write this sermon, (laughs) it turns out that God is in control of these things, not me. But I bet that Hannibal Smith took some credit for a lot of the things that happened outside his control, too. So just keep this in mind when you think about your pastor. God is in control, and I'm kind of like the A-team. So, let's talk about this worthless slave. This week's parable is as unsettling, if not even more unsettling, than the parable last week about the wise and foolish bridesmaids. I mean, last week, yes, the foolish bridesmaids got left outside, but this fearful servant, and we'll address why I'm calling him fearful instead of what he's usually called, which is either wicked or unfaithful here in a second, this fearful servant gets a much worse punishment after being chastised seemingly for his lack of investment acumen the servant hears these incredibly harsh words from the master take the talent from him give it to the one with the ten talents for all those who have more will be given they will have an abundance but from those who have nothing even what they have will be taken away As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Before we get to the gnashing of teeth, let's start back at the beginning. The master of a house goes away on a journey and entrusts three different amounts of money to three different servants. And upon his return, he asks for an accounting. He wants to know how the servants stewarded his money. The first two servants, taken what they were entrusted with and increased it, they doubled it. The third, though, who professes fear of the master, decided to just bury the money he'd been given in the ground so as not to risk it or risk incurring his master's wrath if something were to go wrong. He tries to return to the master exactly what he'd been given and is excoriated for it. So, I think it's important that we approach this story with the wisdom that we gleaned from the interpretation of the story that came right before it, the story last week. As I said, these two stories are very similar and they're told right in a row. The foolish bridesmaids last week hear that the bridegroom is coming back They realize that they don't have enough oil, and they leave. They go away to try to fix things on their own. They try to save themselves. They assumed that the bridegroom wouldn't be forgiving, that only full jars of oil and perfectly trimmed wicks would get them into the wedding banquet. This fearful servant feels much the same way. He tells the master that he has acted in the way he does because he's afraid. Master, he says, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seeds, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Interestingly, in this story, we have a conversation that we didn't really have last week. This week, we have the conversation between the master of the house and the fearful servant that we didn't really have between the returning bridegroom and the foolish bridesmaids. We do have them shouting, you know, let us in! And we have him saying, I never knew you. But we don't get the foolish bridesmaids trying to explain their thinking. We don't have them saying... We were afraid you'd be mad and wouldn't forgive us. So we tried to save ourselves. But that's just what this fearful servant says. I was afraid, so I did this thing, hoping to save my skin. And how does the master of the house respond? In effect, he says... You think you know me? Then I'll be exactly what you were afraid of. You knew, did you, he says, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. This is akin to us parents saying to our kids, oh, you think I'm mean, do you? Well, I'll give you something to whine about. We see this in ourselves when our kids ask us for something that's a little out of order, like ice cream when it's not the weekend, or a movie when it's a school night. They come and they ask, but they sort of sidle up, you know, with a full-on pout on their lips from the beginning. And they say something like, you're probably not going to let us, but, or I know you're going to say no, but you parents have seen this before, right? You non-parents have probably done this before, right? They might as well literally be saying to us, I know that you're a harsh man reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And what happens? We make them right. We hate being talked to like that. Oh, you know me, do you? We said. You're absolutely not getting ice cream. You're not getting to watch a movie. Now go away. And yet, even in the midst of this, what is the overriding truth of the situation? What are the underlying facts of the matter, even as we say no to our kids? The truth is that we love them. We love our children, even if them talking to us like that drives us crazy. Even if them talking to us like that guarantees that they're not going to get the thing that they want. And if despite all of that, we actually deeply love our children, how much more then can we be sure that God loves his children? If we, who are wicked sinners, know how to give good gifts to our kids, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, how much more... Will our Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This servant, often called wicked or unfaithful, called so in the parable, actually has a much more fundamental problem. He is unbelieving. He doesn't believe in the goodness of his master. And that makes him afraid this parable strikes me as a kind of retelling of the events of the garden of eden the master of the house is god then we know that he is trustworthy a loving and giving man that's who god is but some serpent somewhere along the way has whispered in this servant's ear did god really say Is he really good? Does he really have your best interests at heart? And so this servant says what fearful servants everywhere, including us, say. Probably not. He's probably out to get me. And the result of this faithlessness is fear and then wickedness. So that's the bad news. Lack of faith leads to fear. And in our fears, we fall short of God's righteous calling in our lives. We bury talents in the ground. Remember, in the same way that the foolish bridesmaids should have thought ahead and been prepared, this fearful servant should have been a good steward. And so should we. God calls us clearly to be good stewards of the gifts we have been given. And he does so throughout the Bible. From Genesis 2, when the Lord commands us to be fruitful and multiply and to care for the earth. To Proverbs, in which we are called to honor God with our wealth and the first fruits of our produce. From St. Peter's New Testament call to use our gifts to serve one another as stewards of God's grace. To Jesus' admonition that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Our calling is unambiguous. We are to be good and faithful stewards. But we have sinned, we are afraid. We fall short of the glory of God. We do not invest the gifts we've been given, doubling them in faith. We believe the serpent's lie. We are not in Eden anymore. We have been entrusted with a great inheritance, but we all too often think about God and fear him. But that's a lie. The serpent is still trying to trick us. That's not what God is really like. Well, that's not what he's like to a repentant sinner. It is what he's like to someone who refuses to repent, who demands to be judged on their own merits. Someone who says, you are a harsh man, and I don't want to have anything to do with you. A clue to this is in the gnashing of teeth that's going on in the outer darkness. It's easy to think, as I did for a long time, that the gnashing of teeth is a manifestation of pain, right? Something that's being suffered in the outer darkness, in the fires of hell. But apparently, the gnashing of teeth, the Greek word here and the Hebrew expression it refers to, has more to do with anger Than with pain. It's gnashing teeth in anger. The person in the outer darkness isn't gnashing their teeth because they're desperately sad to be separated from God. They're doing it because they're angry at God. They're still angry. They still don't want to have anything to do with Him. They're furious that they've been judged unworthy because they're convinced that they are worthy those who think that they can save themselves will come face to face with a God who will allow them to try to do just that. But that always leads to the outer darkness, a gnashing of teeth. But that's not the face that God, our God, turns to a servant who repents. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord tells the prophet to say this to the people, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked man turn from his way and live. This is repentance. Just like the foolish bridesmaids last week, who needed only to confess, repent, and throw themselves on the mercy of the forgiving bridegroom, the fearful servant this week needs only to confess, repent, and ask for the same forgiveness. And his master, our master, the good God who created the universe, will forgive. As we say in our communion prayer every week, his character is always To forgive, always to have mercy. There's a, a special version of what we call the absolution, the forgiveness that I announce after we say the confession of sin. There's a special version of that in our Ash Wednesday service. And in it, these words of forgiveness that the minister pronounces to a congregation of otherwise fearful servants... But servants who have repented, in that absolution, we actually reference Ezekiel 33. Here's what I'll say to you on Ash Wednesday evening. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desires not the death of sinners, but rather that they turn from their wickedness and live, has given power and commandment to his ministers To declare and pronounce to his people, being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardons and absolves all those who truly repent and with sincere hearts believe his holy gospel. In the middle of our weekly service, after we confess, and we're going to do this here in just a minute, pay attention for it. I'll declare and pronounce that absolution. The same absolution in slightly different words. And then I'll say what we call the comfortable words. These short pieces of scripture that help us remember what the gospel is. That Christ has come to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Forever reconciling us to God. But then if you've been coming to this church for a while, you'll know that I always add in a little bit, don't I? I always go off script a little bit right there. I say that now, because of that perfect sacrifice, we can approach our holy God, not in fear, but in peace. A peace which we now share together. And then we greet one another in the name of the Lord. And it's stories like this one. Stories like this fearful servant's story are why I make sure to add that in. The good news that we can, even as sinners, approach a holy God not in fear, but in peace. We're not good stewards. When you come... And make your 2021 pledge to Grace Church. Whatever you come and lay down here on the table in a few minutes, whatever you give up for Jesus will not be enough to hold a candle to what he has given up for you. There's just no way. You can never even those scales. There's nothing you can give back that will make the master judge you worthy on your own merit. And yet, you don't have to walk up here in fear. You don't have to approach God's table trembling. You don't have to say, I know you're a hard man. Because you will have heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Hear it now. Your master is a forgiving master. His character is always to have mercy. On account of Christ, he has given you that mercy. You are judged not on your own merit, but on Christ's. Hear these words of comfort from Christ and his apostles. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If anyone sins we have an advocate with the father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the perfect sacrificial offering for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You can approach a holy God, not in fear, but in peace. And I have an amazing honor. I have been given power and commandment by God through the Anglican Church to pronounce His mercy on you, being penitent. So, listen to me now. Confess your sins. Join us as we do this in just a minute. Admit that you have fallen short of God's calling. Repent. Turn back to Him again and again and again. Our God is a loving God and it is his joy to pour out his mercy and forgiveness on you. And in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, I tell you, yes, even you, even now that you are forgiven. You are made new. You are made whole. On account of Christ, you are saved. Thanks be to God. Amen.